episode 58 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out why everyone else seems to love that game that you didn't have any fun playing. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games we don't like. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like 1849 and Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Then, we talk about some games lots of people love that we just don't like that much. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word like. And now, here are your hosts, Andy and Crystal. The last few weeks, I've been playing 1849, the game of Sicilian Railways, which is an 18xx game. It was published in 1998, designed by... 20 years ago. (laughs) I didn't realize it was that old. (laughs) Designed by Chris Lawson and... Federico Villani, and it takes place in Sicily. It's three to five players, but we've been playing it with three players. It's pretty good with three players, and BGG says it's good with three to four, and it takes about three hours to play. What's interesting about this game? Well, there's a lot of interesting things, but on the map, there's a lot of mountains, and you have to pay each time you're building track on the mountains, so you're always poor, and it's incremental capitalization, so when you buy a share, that money goes into the corporation, so it only has whatever money you put into it. So it's it starts out poor, and you have to pay for track, so you're very poor all the time, <laughs> and the money's really tight. But there's two types of track. You could have na- uh, regular track, and then also narrow gauge tra- track, which is cheaper to build, but it it's harder to run your trains across it. So there's a trade-off there. So the, the map is pretty interesting with that. Uh, Another cool thing about 1849 is that the timing is really important. So in our games that we've played, there's a couple of train rushes. And in order to buy the trains, you can issue shares from your corporation to get more money because otherwise you have very little money. But the, the train rush goes pretty fast and people have been forced purchasing trains and there's turning points. So when there's a train rush, I was like in dead last in one of the games we played, but I managed to survive the first train rush and get get ahead because of that. I didn't stay in first, but <laughs> I thought it was really cool because even though I was in last at the beginning and doing really badly, I was able to turn the game around and become in first, and then like someone else was in first, and then someone else was in first later on. So there were so many turning points in the game, and it was really exciting. And the game has been really close too. One of the games we played, I was $8 away from winning, which is really close when the game is like $5,000 as oh, the wow. score. <laughs> yeah, that's really close. Is that like, yeah. so is that a, for you, is that like a sad moment or like a happy moment that you were that close? Like, cause sometimes for me, I think I'm almost more bummed if I lose by like a hair <laughs> yeah. than, than if I just get second by whatever, a normal amount. Yeah, I was both, I think, because I w- that was a game where I was dead last at the beginning and didn't think I would have any chance of winning. But in this game, there's so many turning points and I didn't realize I was that close. So I probably could have played a little differently and gotten that $8 because that's just, that's less than one share. And another cool thing about 1849 is there there are these 20% shares, which is the last share of each corporation. And there's a share limit that you can have. So it's really important if you have that, it's worth twice as much as a normal share. And you can have more um, share worth than other people. So there, there's so many important things that you can keep track of and just 
one small difference can be the difference between winning and not winning. So I think that was really cool. How would you how would you rank this against your other 18xx games? Like where does this fall in your uh, likability <laughs> rating? I don't know, whatever you want to call it's it. It's getting up there in the top three. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've only I've played it three times now. I played it once like two years ago when we first started playing 18xx and I didn't know what was going on. But then when we played it recently, there's a lot more that we we can manipulate things more and we know what we're doing and we can screw over other people. <laughs> it's very cutthroat. <laughs> this game is very cutthroat. Yeah, so it, it's very exciting and I'm really enjoying it, especially with three players. I haven't played it with four players yet though, so I want to try it. Very cool. Yeah, so that's 1849, the game of Sicilian Railways. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a game that I technically haven't played recently, but that I recently realized I haven't talked about on the <laughs> podcast yet, and I wanted to do that. So I want to discuss Pandemic Legacy Season 2, and I will preface this with I am not going to be giving away any spoilers for Pandemic Legacy Season 1 or 2 in this discussion, but I will be discussing things that exist in the boxes, like if you were to open up the boxes for both of those games and look at the boards and what components are immediately available and the rule books themselves, I will be discussing things that exist in those items. So none of the secrets, but if you want to go into either one of those games completely blind with no information whatsoever, <laughs> feel free to skip ahead to the end of my segment. But again, I will not be giving away any spoilers. So this game, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, starts 71 years after the events that took place in Season 1. In Season 2, you are living on floating havens that are kind of out in the ocean. Um, you're away from the main continents. And all the leaders of the havens have left to try and go meet up and do some stuff. And they haven't come back. And you don't know if they're ever coming back. And so you now have to go out into the world and figure out what happened and what you're going to do about it. So in uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 1, it utilizes the core mechanics of the original game, Pandemic, pretty heavily, where you are trying to prevent cubes from being on the board. You are trying to remove cubes from the board all the time. That's kind of what you're doing. In Pandemic Legacy Season 2, it flips that core mechanic on its head, and instead you are trying to keep the grid of cities supplied. You are trying to place supply cubes on cities, because when cards get drawn from the infection deck, cubes get removed from the board, the supply cubes. And if all of the supply cubes get removed from a city, and then another card of that city gets drawn, plague happens. And that is bad. Uh, what's very cool about season two compared to season one is season two starts with almost an entirely empty board. You have only a small piece of the world that you can see, and then a lot of the board is blank to begin. And on the board, you can see, and you learn in the rulebook, that there are spots that you can go and perform recon actions at. You turn in specific cards of specific colors to recon an area to discover more about it. So you start with very little, and as you do more actions, you uncover the world and the story that's happening and what's happened in the past 71 years. You get little bits and pieces of what happened between season one and season two. So uh, again, I can't discuss a whole lot because of spoilers, but uh, this game feels both simultaneously familiar 
to Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy Season 1, but also very different in a lot of ways, and I liked that. I was happy that when I opened this box and played this game, it didn't feel like a rehashing of Season 1. It really did feel kind of like a sequel, which is nice. Like, you've got the familiar elements, you've got the player deck and the infection deck and things that you know and are familiar with, but then all of these new things get thrown in and uh, kind of make it more of a challenge because there's new rules and new things that you can do that you've never been able to do before. And that's really neat. I did, so when I played season one, I played with three of my friends from my game group. For season two, I actually played with my husband. He and I don't play games together at home super frequently, but he agreed to play this with me. And so we played two player and I had never really played much pandemic two player before. Uh, and it was a really fun experience. I enjoyed being able to spend time with him playing this game. And uh, I liked it. I liked it, I think a little more than season one. And it seems like that might not be the prevailing opinion. I think a lot of people have said they like season two, but that they like season one more. And it's hard for me to compare them only because, you know, with time, my memory fades. <laughs> yeah, you can't try it again, really. <laughs> right, like I can never play Pandemic Legacy season one again. Well, okay, I, I can. Mean, you can. Z's but I can like never... on his third play. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think he just got another box to do it again. Yeah. And, I, and I would be willing to do that, but like, I'll never have the same experience. So I'm trying to compare the first experiences of both to one another. It's difficult. So again, sorry, can't do a whole lot of discussion because of spoilers. But basically, I think if you played season one, I believe you will like season two. Whether you like it as much or not, I'm, it's hard to say. If you haven't played season one and you just want to pick up season two, I think you can do that. What's interesting is they will reference some things in the flavor text of season two that are technically spoilers for season one, but you won't know that they're spoilers without context. <laughs> so I think you could even play these out of order if you wanted. But honestly, I would say the best experience is to play season one and then play season two, but you don't have to. I just really loved the experience. I think they've created something magical. And I'm very happy that um, the Spiel des Jahres committee decided to give a special award to Pandemic Legacy Season 2 mm -hmm. to recognize that what they've done with these games, because I think it is something special. For this week's thematic segment, we wanted to talk a little bit about games that we don't like, that other people <laughs> generally tend to like. And I will give a couple caveats here. Obviously, when we say everyone likes this game, we know that not everyone likes that game, but it just, in popular opinion, these games tend to be well-regarded, is I guess what I would say. And also, when we say we don't like a game, it is entirely possible that uh, we were taught the rules wrong or we had a bad experience for a different reason. It is not always the game's fault. It's, it's, I think it's a good discussion to have. We always talk, we talk a lot about the games that we love and the games we've enjoyed playing. And I think it's, there's some interesting nuance to be had about discussing games that we didn't enjoy. Yeah, I was trying to think of games that I hate and I really couldn't think of any because a lot of the games that I don't like, I've only played once and then really just didn't feel like playing it again. So I just don't really like it. I don't know. It's not like I really hate them or anything. Yeah, there's, but... an, there's an interesting <laughs> distinction between I don't like a game and I dislike this game so much that I never want to play it again. Because even games yeah. that I will, I'm about to say I don't like, I would theoretically be willing to play in the right circumstances. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, but one of them is Scythe, 
which I played once, and people had said that there wasn't much attacking in the game, but there was a lot of attacking in my game, <laughs> and I don't really like area control fighting games, so I, I didn't like that part of the game as much, but I liked the other part of the game, like the action thing and the little board. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still very curious about how I'm going, like, A, I'm going to play side at some point, but like what I'm going to think of it. But I think the fighting aspect, that kind of has a lot to do with who you're playing with and their play styles. Is that accurate from what you yeah. can tell? And I think also the special powers, like one of the um, races is more fighting, I think. So that race was in play. <laughs> okay. And then, but yeah, what I didn't like about it is that when you die, you teleport back to your start location for some reason. I mean, is that supposed to be know. reminiscent of like a video game? Because that's what happens I, maybe, in video games. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't think the theme was supposed to be a video game. Oh, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> so. I, I... <laughs> yeah. So that that was kind of frustrating. What what's frustrating about that? Me not knowing. Because the I game. would be like going out to get resources, and then I would lose a battle, and then all of my guys would be back at the start. So it takes a long time to get to places on the map. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Also, the fighting was card draw, which I drew a bunch of cards, never got above a three, and like other people started with five, so <laughs> that, it was uh, tough to win a battle for me. R randomization in games is good for the purposes of making things exciting, but it can also really be problematic if one person's getting all the good luck and one person's yeah. getting all the bad luck. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, there shouldn't be randomization, but it's it can be tough. Yeah. But that was like a, a freak play, it seems like, because from what I've heard of other people, that doesn't really happen very often. So I'd be willing to try it again. Just there are so many other games to play. <laughs> that is, uh, that's an interesting point. I, before I get into any of the specific games that I want to talk about, I think it's hard because I don't ever want to dismiss a game or anything in life really just based on an initial negative impression because a lot of things you can view negatively for reasons that are outside of your or it, their control. Mm -hmm. But there are so many games out there. So yeah. if I play a game and I'm not in immediately enamored with it, it's like, why would I want to take the time to play it again when I could just go try something new or play a mm -hmm. thing I already know I love? So it's hard. And I think that game designers have a really tough challenge there because there are so many games coming out now that if they don't hook people immediately, then if the games don't get a lot of buzz, they'll just fade into obscurity. And that's mm -hmm. kind of a bummer. I yeah. will actually, I'll give a shout out to our sponsor, Gray Fox Games. They have an amazing game in their catalog that nobody is playing or, or talking about. Order of the Gilded Compass is one of my favorite dice games. And so many people have not tried it or played it. And I love it. I loved it before Gray Fox picked it up. It used to be a game called Aaliyah Ayakta Est. And I love that game. And I feel like it, for people who like games like Las Vegas, which I've now played, um, it's a great next step dice game because it's the same thing. You roll dice and then you allocate them to different spots. Um, but there's more strategy and there's more things going on. So I don't, I have no idea why people aren't playing that game. 
they were literally selling it at Dice Tower Con for $15. And I was, I almost lost my mind because it is a really good game. So I would, I, 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 they did not ask me to talk about this at all. <laughs> but like, it bothered me that people don't know about this awesome dice game. So I guess if you see a copy of Order of the Gilded Compass, grab it, especially if it's that <laughs> cheap, because it's awesome. Or I'll play it with you. I will teach that one to anybody. Okay, sorry, I've gotten us way off topic. <laughs> But this, it was good. So I have been talking a lot about roll and write games that I love. And there's one game in the roll and write genre or flip and write, I guess, because some games are controlled by cards rather than dice that I don't like at all. And a lot of people love. And that's Avenue, which has since been rethemed as uh, Kokoro. And I have not played Kokoro, but I believe they're really similar. So many people love Avenue. And all I could think when I was playing Avenue, and I've played it a couple of times now, all I could think of is while I was playing it, this is kind of like Karuba, but there are less good paths and I'm just frustrated. Like the whole mm. time I was wanting paths that like exist in Karuba where you have more options and the paths in Avenue are so limiting. You're drawing this little path around your sheet to try and connect grapes and other things. And I just felt limited the whole time. I just, it wasn't fun for me. I don't know if, if Karuba didn't exist, maybe I would like it more. They're not really the same genre of game. You're just building a path. That's the only real similarity, but I just didn't like it at all. And I feel bad because I know our friends over at Great Way Games love Avenue. <laughs> like, and I love them, but I don't love Avenue. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's fine not to love games even when your friends love them. <laughs> Isn't it weird though that I feel like I feel weirdly guilty for not liking a thing, which doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't really make sense. And I recognize there's no logic there. Like I don't have to like all the same things that other people do. But I think, I think it, it bothers me when there's a, a person or a group of people that I tend to have very similar likes and dislikes. And then there's one singular thing that's divergent and it doesn't, mm -hmm. and then I'm, I'm questioning my own, not beliefs, but like my own thoughts. I'm like, well, if they all like this, why don't I? And it's okay that I don't like it, but then I go into this weird spiral of, well, but maybe, maybe I should like it, but maybe I did it wrong. Maybe, you know, and I just doubt everything, which probably speaks more to my psyche than my, my <laughs> game playing or my game likes and dislikes. But I think that's that's like a time when you can give a game a second chance is if your game group and the people that you play with that like the same things you play really like a game and want to play it with you, then that that's when I would give a game another chance because there's people that I'm playing with that want to play it. Um, so that's like an opportunity to play the game and I will try to give it another chance and maybe I'll like it that time. That's a good point. Okay, so another game that I did not like on my first play was, and only play, was Terraforming Mars. And that's <gasps> a... I'm, I'm gasping on behalf, on behalf of the collective <laughs> internet, not myself, for the record. Yeah. So it's a very popular game. But I think there are reasons for that, because we played like the beginner variant where you start out, there's no drafting of the cards. So we were just dealt cards and had to use those. And I had a really bad starting hand because I couldn't play any of my cards until certain prerequisites were met that couldn't be met until later on in the game. And the rest of the game was okay, but nothing jumped out to me. But then uh, I think people have said that you have to play with drafting and you don't want to play the beginner variant. So 
I guess if I should try again with the full game with drafting because that sounds like it'll be a lot better. Yeah, I think it's sometimes it's a crutch for certain games. Like you might be like, well, let's just start with the beginner variant because it'll be easier to learn. Mm-hmm. But I think for most experienced gamers, it feels like with some exceptions, you should usually just jump into whatever the normal game is for most yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't like playing beginner variants, but in this game, someone else was teaching, so I didn't really have a say. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I've had experiences where I've played games and didn't like them more because of how they were taught. So I think that kind of has a yeah. similar thing. Like I've talked in the past uh, many times about how I hate, and I do say the word hate, Concordia, but my hate is tempered because the reason I hate it is because it was taught to me poorly and the person who taught it was also not a great person to play games with. Mm. Um, I do not play games with that person anymore, but this person specifically was really not a good teacher. They were the type of person that like taught us technically all of the core mechanics, but left out the importance of some of the mechanics, like glossed Mm. over certain things that are key to winning Concordia and then utilize those things to make sure that he (laughs) kicked all of our butts really, really hard. And like, that's not, I don't mind if I get beaten, especially by a person who's familiar with the game, that's fine. But it wasn't obvious what was happening until it was already kind of too late. And at that point I was like, I don't even want to keep playing anymore because I have no chance and I don't necessarily need to win the game, but it, it felt like, he left out information intentionally to give himself a better chance. And that's kind of crummy. Mm-hmm. Ambie, I think most of our listeners know that you like a lot of 18xx games. <laughs> and I think to people who haven't played 18xx games, it can sometimes seem like they're all similar. You've obviously mm-hmm. given us some very good insight as to how they are different. But having not played them, I think a lot of people might not recognize those differences. But you don't like all 18xx <laughs> games, is what I hear. Is this accurate? Yes. Yes, that is accurate. In fact, one of the more popular ones I did not enjoy. I've only played it once, though. This is 1846, which is the one that's published by GMT and a lot of people have and play and really like. (laughs) But yeah, I played it once and I actually just found it kind of boring. (laughs) And I don't know if we were playing it wrong or... Well, people we were playing with aren't experienced with 1846, so... We we probably didn't have like all the cool strategies going on, but it felt more like a Euro game to me than an 18xx game because it was more about building up a company and doing well. And then that person, if you have a really good company, then you're doing really well. And I like 18xx games where there's more attacking other people and you can have big swings in what happens because that feels more exciting to me. Yeah, so I I did not enjoy my play of 1846. It was okay, and maybe I'll play it again because some people in our group really like, or I don't know if they really like it, but they say it's a good game and they own it. So (laughs) at some point I might play it again, but yeah. (laughs) So was 1846 created to be uh, a slightly more mass market game or was it a normal 18xx game that then GMT picked up and distributed more widely? Do you know? It was around before GMT picked it up. Uh, okay. The, there was one person online, Eric Brocious. He's an 18xx player. He's played it hundreds of times, and he really loves the game. And like, I think he he had an article about why it's a good beginner 18xx game. There are like different reasons. And so 
it, it got popular and then GMT picked it up because part, part probably because of that, because it was popular and okay. it's seen as an introductory 18xx game. I think it's a little complicated rules wise, but for people who are used to heroes with a lot of rules, it's not that bad. Because okay. a lot of heroes nowadays have a lot of rules that are yeah. pretty complex. So, <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah. Totally cool. I, so I wonder if they I wonder if they picked it up because it is more Euro-like or more approachable than. So I guess that makes sense. But you played it after you'd played other eighteen XX games, yeah. right? So yeah. it's. I wonder if that's kind of like playing, you know, a, a lot of highly strategic games. And then going backward and trying Catan for the first time. I've heard of people who do that and they're like, well, Catan's not bad, but having experienced games that are more complex and more interesting, Catan kind of pales in comparison. Uh, it has its place. It's not a bad game, but I guess if you didn't start there, it's hard to mm -hmm. go back. But with 1846, it's still strategic. It's just different. It's a different play style, I think. Um, okay. I can't think of a good example right now, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's different styles of play. And I like the stock market and attacking people, like the more interactive, screw each other over type games, like yeah. I mentioned <laughs> earlier. But It's interesting yeah. because you, you, when you're talking about thematic games, you say, I don't like conflict and battles and attacking people. But when you're talking about an 18xx, you're like, oh, I want to screw people over. <laughs> yeah, it's a different type of attacking, I think. So it's I interesting. I don't know why. It's weird. Yeah. I, I, it's the whole that, you know, worker placement thing, not not for 18xx, but in just mm -hmm. in general, where people are like, I like where my actions potentially hurt somebody else, but mm -hmm. I'm not directly attacking them. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not because that's the thing, when you take a spot like on a worker placement game, you're stopping everybody else from doing mm -hmm. it, not just one particular person, even if that one particular <laughs> person maybe wanted to do it and you kind of knew that. Yeah. But it doesn't feel as antagonistic, so <laughs> that's cool. Uh, well, we, we gave a kind of clickbaity title to this episode, <laughs> and I know that we're running out of time, but I'm going to run through a few games real quick that I don't like or <laughs> don't like as much as other people. So Massive Darkness... I like dungeon crawling RPG type games and Massive Darkness was a huge flop for me. I thought it was incredibly boring and did not enjoy it at all. And people that have talked about it and highly and praised it, I'm very confused because I don't know what they see. Apparently I missed something or we just have different opinions. Seventh <laughs> Continent, I've talked about it before. Everybody loves that game. It's winning some awards. Uh, <laughs> it's a very well-designed game in how it operates, but who with four players, not fun. Uh, the Fallout board game, y'all heard me talk about that too. Super disappointing. Not, not great. <laughs> Let's see. Magic Maze, we've talked about on the show before. And I think, um, I've kind of said that it's fun, which it is, but I don't really like it all that much because it stresses me out in a way I don't enjoy. <laughs> and then I'll mention Camel Up. I actually bought Camel Up, uh, back when it was kind of like a big thing. Everybody was talking about it. I played it a bunch. And I liked it at first. And as time has passed, it, it has cooled for me. I've grown to not like it for a number of reasons, some of which are hard to elaborate. I'm not even quite sure. But it's on my shelf, and I don't ever want to play it anymore. So I guess the last one, which I was debating with Ambie whether I was going to mention this or not, but I, I, I'm struggling. I don't actually know that I don't like this game, but I think I might not like it. And... A certain friend of ours named Roy Canaday is potentially <laughs> going to lose his mind if I don't think he listens to our episode. So I think I'm in the clear until someone tells him. I'll but, tell him. Uh, no, don't do it. <laughs> I think I maybe don't like TI4, 
which is weird to say because it's my type of game. And I, it's not to say that it's a bad game. I, and I saying I don't like it isn't even really accurate. I think I don't like it as much as other people do and as I ex expected to. I think I enjoy the experience of playing TI4 way more than I like the game TI4. And I don't know if that's because it's kind of showing its age over the years. It seems like they've made a lot of improvements as the editions have come out, different editions. But yeah, it feels like after having played it twice now, I don't think it's my 4X game. It seems like stuff like Star Trek Ascendancy or Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, which I got to try recently as well, are are better. And I feel bad. I'm sorry, Roy, if you are listening to this. I don't hate it, but I, and I'll still play it. That's the thing. Like I enjoy the experience of playing it, especially with the right group. And that is an important yeah. point to note. Sometimes playing a game you don't like can be fun in the right circumstances. And playing a game that you love can be horrible in the in certain circumstances. So everything is subjective, as we would have said in our objective versus subjective episode. All of our likes and dislikes are not, you know, definitive science. It's just a thing. And our opinions will change. Shoot, if we made our top 100 lists again today, just a few months after we did it, I think mine would be entirely different. <laughs> like, yeah, it's mine, weird. Mine <laughs> it's weird how quickly things shift. And it's yeah. hard for me personally not to get caught up in the hype train and the cult of the new and put more weight on new things over old things, which kind of ties back to the Pandemic Legacy thing. Like if I, I, I had Pandemic Legacy season two higher than Pandemic Legacy season one, but is it higher because I like it more or because it's newer and it's in my brain, it's fresher. It's hard to tell. I don't know, really. So uh, I guess that's gonna continue to be a mystery. For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the origins of the word like. The English word like is one of those words that fits into many different parts of speech because it can be used as a verb, an adjective, and a noun. Originating in the 12th century, it has roots in many languages, including the Old English Gaelic, which came from the Proto-Germanic Galaica, as well as the Old English Lycian, which meant to please, be pleasing, or be sufficient. The sense development of the word like is pretty unclear, but at times in the past, both like and dislike were actually used in a more impersonal sense, and the metaphorical liking of a thing went in the opposite direction that we know it today. So instead of saying, you don't like that game, someone in the past may have actually said, the game likes you not. And I think that's kind of interesting. I want to bring that back. Like, let's let's take this dislike away from ourselves. And no, the game, the game doesn't like me. I think that's an interesting way to approach it and will make us feel less guilty. So I'm going to try that. So the switch to the modern flow uh, came about in the late 14th century, quite a while ago now. But I, we can still bring it back. Uh, and obviously, not everyone has to like everything. But hopefully, knowing a little more about the word like will make you appreciate games that your friends like just a little bit more. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you're at Gen Con, make sure to stop by the Gray Fox Games booth to pick up a copy of Pocket Mars and to tell them how awesome they are for sponsoring us. If you're not at Gen Con, head over to Kickstarter to check out Run, Fight, or Die Reloaded. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. 
just head to patreon.com slash boardgamebliss. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, when we play this game, it's just a bit unfair. I don't like it much, but I won't whine and glare. Bye, everyone! Bye! Which is an 18xx game that... Oh, shoot. <laughs> We're just... <laughs> Did I close out of the window? Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, it's alliteration time. Uh, uh, it's alliteration time. <laughs> I'm going to make new up a new song every week. A new theme okay. song for alliteration every time. <laughs> All right, Ambi. Last week, we asked everyone to retheme a board game made by Harmonix for sleepy flying robots. So what game was that? It was Drowsy Drones Drop Mix. <laughs> they're always a little hard to say, aren't they? They're alliterations, yeah. <laughs> Alliteration. It's tough. It sounds good to the ear, but it's hard to say with the mouth. <laughs> All right. So this week we are asking you, listeners, to retheme a nautical legacy game for aquatic animals that are looking for something. Good luck. <laughs>